Amen. Well, today we're continuing a series that we started a few weeks ago, When God Becomes Small. And it's uh, something that I found that is always surprising. I've spent uh, the past 20 years, I know Dennis has more experience than me, but uh, I've spent the last 20 years that a lot of my life, a big portion of my life, uh, focused on um, uh, studying the scriptures and teaching the scriptures. But something that continues to come up and always surprises is how Jesus changes your perspective, how Jesus flips your world upside down, how Jesus takes the things that you think you know, it, I should go this direction, I should think this way, and shows you a different path. And uh, even though I've read the scriptures many times, I'm, I'm continually surprised by how Jesus does that. One of those areas for me personally is uh, how Jesus redefines greatness. I don't know about you, but there's, there's so many times in my life where I think about greatness as bigger is better. And I'll tell you something that I struggle with and have struggled with mentally many times in my life. This happens to me on a regular occasion. Somebody will find out I'm a pastor and they'll say, you're a pastor. I said, yes. And immediately, uh, sometimes their vocabulary changes. Everybody looks at me a little bit different. Um, people used to say, you're too young to be a pastor. They don't say that anymore. You know, there's all kinds of things that happen uh, when they find out I'm a pastor. But inevitably, it will come to this moment where they ask me this question. Almost probably, I'd say, nine out of ten times when people find out I'm a pastor, they say, well, first of all, they say, where's your church building? And I'll say, don't have one. We don't have a church building. We meet at a high school. And they're like, really? Really? You meet at a high school? Uh, what's up with that? And, you know, they'll talk about that a little bit. And then, they'll, then the second question is always the same. How many people do you got? How many people do you got? Because the two questions that typically go in people's mind is they say, what kind of building do you have and how many people do you have? Because in some ways, our minds have been trained, even, even people of faith, that those are the two criteria for uh, a great church. A really big building and a big crowd. That is what it means to be very successful. And I have to be honest that there's times in my life I know the questions are coming and I'm kind of like, all right, I'm going to explain that, yeah, I'm a pastor of a, a small neighborhood church that doesn't have its own building. And honestly, if I was very honest and transparent with you, sometimes I felt like kind of hesitant and maybe even embarrassed to share those things because there's something inside of me, too, that says, all right. If you don't have a huge crowd or a huge building, you're not successful. You aren't doing a good job. And to some degree, of course, there's some truth to that, that, that there's, there's ministries that amazing things happen and God moves and there's revivals that takes place and there's buildings that are built and there's crowds that come and gather. And that is a wonderful thing. Praise God when that happens. But I think sometimes in our mind, and I've gotten caught up in this, we have a narrow definition of what it means to do good things, to do great things, to be a success. 
It is typically the bottom line is defining success in our life. And maybe you've struggled with it too, but this has been something in mind that, my mind that I've struggled with asking myself, God, am I doing the right things? If like some of these measures or some of these things are, are not like what maybe the world would, would expect is a picture of success. But continually, Jesus challenges. He challenges the stereotypical or first thought of what it means to be the greatest, what it means to uh, be successful in life. Uh, in the book of Luke, uh, Jesus has uh, this interaction in some ways with the Pharisees. He has many of those. These are the religious leaders of the day. They are people that are highly successful in many regards. Uh, they are in the upper class of society uh, financially. They have a position of influence. They are important people in their culture and in their time, and they're spiritual leaders. And so they're people that, you know, in, of course, every measure of success, you would say they are successful. And then you had this traveling preacher that didn't have any kind of money, that had a very small following and not much political influence, that showed up and in a very irritating way kept criticizing these religious leaders. Of course, that was Jesus. That's who he was, and it was interesting, the dynamic and the back and forth between them, because everything would, would seem to suggest that he was the nuisance. He was the one that, you know, didn't quite have everything together, and in some ways, they probably thought this, this nuisance preacher will probably come and go, and this following will fade away, but they didn't recognize or understand who Jesus was. And so, so Jesus has many interactions with these people, but in Luke chapter 12, there is a moment where he, he gives kind of a scathing rebuke of their ministry and who they are. And, and the overall theme of it is that they did not have love. The overall theme was they missed the heart of God and they weren't acting out of love. And so Jesus has six critiques in Luke, and there's also, um, uh, it's recorded in other gospels as well, but in Luke, he talks about six critiques, and it says this, he says, he says uh, the first one is that they are uh, so adamant about people paying their tithe and so specific about their tithe, but they don't really care about people as far as, uh, you know, they their person, who they are as a person. He critiques their uh, focus on reputation because they prefer the greatest seats and they like to be in positions of honor instead of really deferring to others or caring about others. He critiques the fact that they're focused so much on uncleanliness, focused so much on uh, outward purity and making sure that you're clean, but they are unmarked graves, meaning their, their hearts are far from God. They're just focused on these outward uh, appearances of cleanliness. He, he talks about how, um, how uh, the, 
they give heavy burdens to people. He, they just put too much stress on people as far as the regulations that they put on others. And they go way beyond what the scripture says about how you should follow the rules. He critiques the fact that they are uh, ancestors of people who persecuted prophets of God. And um, the blood of the prophets are on their head. And then he talks about how they think that they hold the key to knowledge, but they don't have really the heart that they need to follow God. He goes one after another and says all of these different things and says, these are the problems that you have. And this is an issue. And this is, we, we need to redefine what is really important, what is successful, what is great, what is meaningful. And then he, he continues on, and just after that, in Luke chapter 12, and that's what we're going to read today, there's people that are gathering around soon after that, and he starts teaching and talking and telling them and warning people about the Pharisees and what they teach. And then somebody asks Jesus a question in Luke chapter 12, and I want to read that in verse 13. It says this, someone in the crowd said to him, teacher, Tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus replied, man, who appointed me a judge or arbiter between you? Then he said to them, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. So Jesus tells the people right there, watch out as this individual kind of is doing a question and answer time they got out a little round table got a microphone and had a little casual uh, question and answer time kind of and and jesus is asked the question like hey you know what shouldn't shouldn't my brother share the inheritance shouldn't it shouldn't like that those things be fair jesus doesn't directly answer the question but he says to watch out He says that there's a broader principle that we need to look at and we need to think about. We need to watch out against all kinds of greed. And how I take it within the context of him talking about the Pharisees, talking about their mindset and the the way that they live their life, is he's, he's giving us a broad principle that goes beyond just finances, goes beyond money. Is he saying, watch out for all kinds of greed, all kinds of uh, ways that we get sucked into a world where we think that the most important is the abundance of possessions. In some ways, he's looking at our life and saying, if you get caught up in the bigger, bigger, better, greater thing, you need to you need to reevaluate. You need to stop and pause. You need to figure out if that is really the path you need to go in life. The ninth commandment in scripture of the big ten commandments is thou shalt not covet. Thou shalt not uh, covet. And it's it's one of these principles that we typically attribute to financial things. But I think the principle there is also broader. That a lot of times people, you know, maybe look at somebody else and feel envious. Look at somebody else and say, I wish I had what they had. I wish I had the financial situation that they had. I wish that I had, 
you know, maybe the talents and abilities that they have. I wish, I wish, I wish. But the, but the reality is, is Jesus is pointing us to and expanding on this commandment saying, be on guard. Be on guard for all kinds of greeds that creep into your life. All kinds of times in life that we, we just want more and more and more and we're missing the real genuine point of life. Think about these successful Pharisees. These people that are successful in every measure you can imagine, but they miss the critical point. Love your neighbor. They miss the critical point of how you treat people. They miss the big picture, and they just got so consumed with this thing that they missed it. They spent their whole life looking and praying and hoping for a Messiah to come to save people from their sins And the Messiah showed up and stood right in front of them, and they missed it. They missed it completely. And so we, we just have to ask ourselves in our own life is, do you get caught up? Is it possible you can get caught up in pursuing more and more and more and miss it? Miss the whole point. There's so many things that this applies to in our life. I think sometimes it, it applies to us in a moral way. And this is what I mean. It applies to us in regards to uh, the choices that we make as far as sin is concerned. There's times in life that we look around at our life. We see other people and they're living a life that like maybe it's on Facebook, TikTok, Twitter. And we look at their life and they're like, that is the life. That's the life that I wish I had. Maybe we find ourselves, you know, like uh, in our uh, dingy houses watching people on yachts, you know, uh, just kind of like living it up. And we look at their life and we're like, that's it. That's what I wish I was doing. When the weather turns cold, we're all going to be like out there saying, man, I wish I was I wish I was on the beach. I wish I was this. I wish I had this life. I wish I had something else and something can creep in. When we start thinking like this, we can start to creep in and we can start to think that, man, it'd be kind of nice if I had opportunity even to to live a life that wasn't following God, to live a life of sin. It'd be kind of nice. Maybe if I could just say, God, I'm going to take a time out from uh, Christianity and my faith, and I'm just going to take like three months, go to Vegas Throw a big party. I'll come back. And God, I'm going to say the, the best prayers. You can forgive me. And I'll move on with my life. And it'll be fantastic. And it's not fair. All these people are doing these other things. Are having these experiences. Having this life. And sometimes I think that we can covet a lifestyle that is far from God. I'm not saying all TikTokers are far from God, but I'm, I'm saying that there can be a temptation that creeps into our mind. That we wish, maybe, that we could set God aside for a period of time, live a life that is different, and come back and just, then we would be okay. If we could avoid the consequences, if nobody would ever know about it, would we take like a vacation from God? Would we just take 
uh, a, a season of time where we just threw out all the standards, threw out all the things that God tells us to do. The reality is, this is, this is a false premise. The false premise is almost thinking that if we don't have God in our life, it would be better for some reason. It would be, it would be more fulfilling. We would be more happy. We would be able to experience things. God tells us and teaches us how we should live our life, not because he wants us to avoid fun. He's doing these things because he loves us and cares for us. But there's a deceit that can come into our life where we can covet a lifestyle of somebody else that is far from God. You see, it's all wrapped up in this idea of this. There's something out there that I'm missing. And maybe we would even say there's something out there that I'm missing because I've been asked to follow God. Something that I'm missing. I'm going to miss out on something and I'm going, to, I'm going to regret it later in life because God in some way is not enough. Don't ever fall into the temptation of thinking that a life away from God or a life where we don't follow God would be fulfilling, would be appealing, would be good for you. Really, one of the best aspects that we could have to, to, to say, do we trust God, is trust God in those areas of your life. Trust that if you follow God's principles of how you order your life, that your life will be better. You're not missing out on anything. But we can get caught up in this thought. Caught up in this thought that I need more. More possessions, more things, more experiences that general principle of I covet something that I don't have. Well, Jesus continues on and tells a a parable in Luke chapter 12. In verse 16, it says this. He told him this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crop. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. There I will store my surplus grain. I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be. With whoever stores up things for themselves but is not rich towards God. In some ways this, this story parallels and is, is, uh, has its roots in the book of Ecclesiastes where we, uh, we read through this summer. But Jesus gives this parable as an illustration for life. And I think there's two really important lessons that come from this parable. The first one is this. Taking life easy is a foolish pursuit. And maybe, maybe we have to define what that looks like, taking life easy. It doesn't mean that we have no balance or no Sabbath or no rest. It doesn't mean that we don't have like times where we just, we relax and have free time and have vacations. That's not, that's not what it's talking about. But this mentality or this idea that creeps into our mind sometimes that we say, if 
you know, I just had it easy. Had no worries about finances. Had no worries about responsibilities. Had no worries about how I should act or how I should live. If I do that, then I would be happy. But that is a foolish pursuit. That's something that really doesn't satisfy in the end. That if you get to a point where you say, I have everything I'll ever need for the rest of my life, you're probably missing the point of life. The point of life is not to just exit life and have nothing to do. The point of life is God gave you breath. God gave you abilities. God gave you talent. God gave you a call to do something of impact, of purpose, of meaning, of significance. To be a part of God's kingdom, God's world, to make an impact. And if we ever like get into the mentality of, you know what, I just want to get to the point where I can just take it easy. That's a foolish pursuit. It's a foolish pursuit to think about that. And, and Jesus makes the dramatic illustration to prove the point saying, hey, the guy dies the next day. What, what good is all this stored up food, all this stored up wealth? All this stuff, if your life is over the next day, what is the point of life? What's the point of your life? There's a second lesson I think that can be learned from this parable, and I think it is this. Richness towards God is always a worthy pursuit. Being rich towards God is a worthy pursuit, and it's something that does not disappoint. It's something that in the end you won't look back and regret and say, you know what, I should have spent my time, energy, and talents in a different way. But instead, richness towards God is is what we were created for. A relationship with God to be able to understand our purpose, meaning, direction in life. To to really look at this term and this idea in the broadest of sense, not just financially. To say, I will be rich and generous with my time, talent, my relationship with God. And that's what I will pursue. That's what I'll invest in. That's what I'll give my life to. There's something that Jesus needs to save us from. And I think this is a particular thing that is prevalent in our culture, in our time. Is that, of course, Jesus needs to save us from our sins. Thank God for that. Jesus needs to save us from lots of things. But Jesus needs to save us from pursuing just greatness. I will be great. I will have great things. I will have these great experiences. I will do all these great things. And that will make my life complete. Jesus said those are foolish pursuits, things that won't satisfy. So as we we look and we think about what it means to apply these things to our life, the, the big principle that we're talking about is it is incredibly profound and incredibly powerful when we recognize that God can become small, God can become intimate, God can be involved in our life in a very personal, practical way. That the pursuit that we should give our attention to is our relationship with our creator. 
That the God of the universe isn't saying, you know, at the end of your life, I'm going to look at all of your, your life and what businesses did you build? What all big things did you create? What, what big things did you, did you make with, of your life? He'll say, did you get the point of it all? Or did you pursue all these things and miss it? Did you pursue all these things and I was right in front of you and you didn't pay attention to what I cared about? Did you pursue all these things and you miss the God right in front of you that gives you life, gives you breath? God needs to save us from this endless pursuit of bigger, 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 greater, greater, more, more, more. I want to invite you to pray with me. And I want to invite you as uh, we prepare our hearts for communion. Just ask yourself, what is it that you're pursuing in your life? The God of the universe came to earth to be among us. The God of the universe invites us to say a prayer, and he will hear it. The God of the universe says, I would like to be, have a relationship with you. I would like to be your friend. I would like to comfort you. I'd like to guide you. Don't miss that. Don't miss that in the pursuit of things that are temporary, things that will fade away, foolish pursuits. Take a moment and commit yourself and say, God, help me to be rich towards you. Help me to invest in a relationship with you. God, we pray today together that we would recognize that sometimes our pursuits are foolish, that we need to watch out and be on guard against just focusing on the abundance of possessions. God, I pray today that we would be honest and sincere and just ask you, 
What would you like from my life? And God, I pray that you would just guide us. Help us to change our perspective. Help us to pursue you with all of our heart. God, we pray that you would come close. Come near to us. Right now, if there's areas in your life where you'd say, that's a foolish pursuit, giving too much time, too much energy, too much stress and focus on something that really isn't that significant, then just say, God, help me with that. Ask God for help and forgiveness. And if there's something in life that is really significant and important, close to the heart of God that you've been neglecting, Commit to God and say, God, help me to give to that, pursue that. God, thank you for these principles. Help us to remember that just having a mindset of taking life easy is foolish pursuit. But richness towards God is always a worthy pursuit. Be with us in these moments. Forgive us of our sins. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.